Hello! Greetings. We're so glad that you've joined us, and we're so glad for your interest in spiritual things. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples in the west side of Los Angeles. And we've been exploring the various activities that we participate in when we come together in the assembly. Because in the New Testament, we see examples of Christians coming together as the assembly and engaging in various activities, including singing, praying the Lord's Supper, hearing a lesson, giving, and studying the Bible. So we can see in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 17 and verse 26, and in chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. So this is why when we come together, we do the same things, because uh, our spiritual forefathers of old did them under apostolic approval. And so it's good to spend some time every so often to return back to the things that we do on a weekly basis if you are assembling with a local church or the type of things that you would see in a local church. So we can do them more properly and more profitably and more effective for their purpose. And today we're going to continue by looking at the preaching of the Word, the lesson, the sermon. And before we begin, it's good to keep two important truths in mind. A lot of times when people talk about the assembly, they talk about it in terms of worship. It's become very prevalent in English to speak about worship services and to associate what is being done in the assembly with worship in a way that is not true of activities outside of the assembly. The words there being translated as worship either refer to prostration, which is an act in and of itself, or it's talking about religious service, which the assembly and its activities certainly are, but so also would doing ministry and the life of a Christian outside of the assembly as well. So our lives of spiritual sacrifice, uh, being a living holy sacrifice for God, uh, is a way in which we are, have our soul bow down before God according to his purposes and his truth, Romans 12, 1 and John 4, 20-24, is absolutely important and crucial, and assembling is part of that, but is not the whole. And so that's why we've kind of stepped away from that word worship in our conversations, because it tends to confuse more than it help, and it provides a, a picture that is not exactly established in the New Testament, since the assembly and worship are not directly related for the believer in, in any of the texts in the New Testament. The word is just not there. We can also see in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 12 what the purpose of the assembly is. What are we doing in our assemblies? Well, it says that we are to strive to excel in building up the church. Verse 26, he says that all things are to be done for building up. And the Hebrew author in Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 24 and 25 declares, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So from these three passages, we see that what we do in the assembly glorifies and honors God, absolutely. But we're to build up or edify one another. We're supposed to encourage or strengthen one another. And that's what we're trying to accomplish. And so everything we're tr doing in the assembly needs to be seen through that lens. And that should be true as we now explore the lesson and preaching in the scriptures. So we see first in the scriptures that 
Preaching was absolutely a part of Christian assembly. It's in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. Uh, Luke indicates that on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. When we talk about the Lord's Supper, we talk about the fact that they gathered together to break bread. And that, of course, is a primary purpose, as Luke indicates. But then goes on to say that when they had gathered together to break bread, Paul discoursed, or had discussed with them, and he extended his speech to midnight. And this is the best example in Scripture of some form of a lesson being given in an assembly. It's not the purpose, but it was something done when they were assembled. In 1 Corinthians 14, in verse 19, uh, Paul says, Nevertheless, in church I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue. Now, in context, while the gift of tongues, speaking in tongues, is still being uh, manifest in the church, you had situations in Corinth where a lot of the Christians were using their spiritual gifts, but doing so in a way that really didn't encourage. Uh, you may have somebody, for instance, speaking in German, but nobody's interpreting or translating, and so nobody is getting any understanding. It may look cool that somebody is up there speaking in German, but the message is not being understood. And so in that context, Paul's saying that he'd much rather say only five words that involve his mind that are going to be understood by the people around him than to speak 10,000 words in a tongue. Uh, so the point there is that the point of talking, communicating in a assembly is to actually instruct and that will be what builds up not just having fancy words or anything of the sort and so uh, we see that lesson speaking that things being said to uh, encourage and build up is part of it independent of the Lord's Supper and singing and praying during the assemblies and later on in that chapter in verse 26 what then brothers when you come together each one has a hymn a lesson a revelation a tongue or interpretation let all things be done for building up so one of the things that they would have would be a lesson and so lessons were given during the assembly that's what we can see from these examples so another good question is okay what is it and who's doing it well in our modern parlance it's very interesting. We have very many different names for it. It's uh, preaching is the action generally. It's a lesson or a sermon, depending on on one's preferences, and they all represent the same concept. It's a religious message that tends to be presented in a lecture format, that one person is talking and the others are listening. There's not a whole lot of guidelines about who can preach in terms of narrowing out specifically to uh, certain individuals. Instead, we have some kind of categorical things. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Paul declares that women should... Uh, verses 11 and 12. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So that would indicate that women are not to preach a lesson before men. In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 26, we see that uh, each has, this many people may have had lessons, or certain individuals, uh, and maybe different individuals at different times would have lessons and would preach before the assembly. In 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17, Paul tells Timothy that elders are worthy of double honor, especially those active in the preaching and teaching. So elders are certainly ones who can preach. But uh, it is generally true that uh, the one who produces the lesson the most frequently is the evangelist. 
one who is like Timothy or Titus, uh, proclaiming the gospel. And part of proclaiming the gospel is the exhortation in the gospel to those who are assembling on the first day of the week. And of this, there is constant exhortation in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Command these things, teach these things, preach the gospel, do the work of an evangelist. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.11, 4162, 2 Timothy 1.11, 2.2, 2.24, 25, 4, 1 and 2, and 5, Titus 2.1, 2.15, and 3.14. So it's a major part of what he's telling these uh, young men to do is to go and to proclaim the message, to command the things God has commanded Christians to instruct and encourage and exhort these things. And so... The lesson to religious message that can be presented by any man, but is normally done by an evangelist. But why? Why is there preaching in an assembly? Well, as we've already seen, yes, there's the edification and the encouragement from 1 Corinthians 14, 26, and Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And that's certainly to be in the back of our minds, but how is it exactly that preaching can be that kind of thing? A lot of times we look at the sermons in Acts, and the message of the gospel, and it's something that is being proclaimed to the people. And that's certainly very important. But as we can see in First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, there is a time and place consistently to remind Christians about the truths of what God has done, to exhort them in, in greater faithfulness to what God would have us to do in Christ. Having said all that, it's important to see that there is that somewhat distinction. The lessons in Acts were not preached in the assemblies. The sermons in Acts were preached to unbelievers. The assembly is designed for the saints and for their encouragement and their edification. There are may be visitors to the assembly, and it's good to have visitors to the assembly, but the visitors... Uh, they may be convicted that, that God is really among them because of the things that they hear in 1 Corinthians 14, 23-25, uh, for instance. But to gear the whole assembly to the visitor is to miss the main point of the assembly as the opportunity for the edification and the encouragement of Christians. And so the lesson should absolutely involve, to some level, the encouragement of Christians. That's the primary goal for, the, for, for most lessons. It's going to be to encourage Christians. That encouragement may provide an opportunity for somebody else to consider their plight before uh, God and to change their ways. Um, and that's well and good. But uh, when the assembly sermon is constantly about things regarding which the, the, the congregation is well aware and has been kept in mind of, or things that are not directly relevant to per, that, the situation of the congregation at that time, it's not going to be useful for true edification and encouragement. That's kind of a spiritual spinning of the wheels. And so that's why we need to make sure that, our, that the lessons are consistent with the purpose of assembling that encouragement and edification of believers. What are the types of things that get preached? This is something that often gets considered. It's interesting in Acts 14 and verse 27 that when Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch when they had preached in the area of southern Asia Minor uh, in the Galatian area, uh, they reported on the work that God had done among them in those places. And so there is definite scriptural precedent for a sermon to be about uh, the progress of God's work in other areas. In Acts 14, 21 and 22, 
we get a rare glimpse of uh, something that he said while present with uh, believers in a congregation where he um, had strengthened the souls of the disciples there in those churches in Galatia, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And so there was that exhortation to remain in the faith and to be able to endure the trial that is about to come. And that we need to press on in the kingdom. In fact, exhortation is a consistent theme in preaching. In 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the, the, the word, be in, in season, out of season, rebuke, reprove, and exhort with all patience. Exhort in Webster is to incite by words or advice, to animate or urge by arguments, to a good deed or to any laudable conduct or course of action. And so a lesson of exhortation is designed for uh, us to see from Scripture how we as Christians are to strive to do good and to be obedient servants we ought to be. And it should stir us up in spirit, in mind, in heart to be more faithful in our service to God. And it is best when phrased positively because too much beating up on fellow Christians can lead very quickly to calloused hearts. And it's sometimes in the vogue to condemn with preaching that tries to make a positive exhortation. But uh, we, what we see in the New Testament belies that, because much of what is said in the New Testament is a positive exhortation uh, for Christians to press on to do something, uh, whether commending them for having done it and continuing to do so in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, or even when there needs to be correction, a lot of the times it's phrased in positive ways. There are times for negative. You look at Second Corinthians, for instance, among other uh, possible examples. But most of the time, the exhortations are positive. In Romans 15 and verse 14, uh, Paul is satisfied about the, the Christians there, that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So they're able to instruct one another. And so another form of lesson is one of instruction. Instruction can be anything from interpreting a passage for the benefit of Christians to explain a topic or concept to see in the scriptures and things of that nature. And um, with a lot of these lessons, it's hard to, to draw strict lines. Uh, in one lesson, you can at times exhort, instruct, reprove, rebuke, etc., and all in the same lesson. Um, but instructive lessons, if we're going to kind of categorize it on their own, can very much be neutral lessons. The idea is that they're just tr they're helping Christians come to a better understanding of Scripture, uh, maybe pointing out a few applications. But the benefit is that Christians have a better handle on what God has revealed, able to explain it to others able to convict others regarding their faith, and so on and so forth. And we've been talking about it, Second uh, Timothy 4 and verse 2, uh, reproof and rebuke. That's, of course, the one that's not very pleasant. And it's something that we need to be very careful about. It's, it, there seems to be a lot of extremes about reproof and rebuke, because it's very easy, on the one hand, to become so zealous for it that that's what one ends up doing all the time and uh, constant reproof and, and rebuking uh, ca causes callousness uh, and withering away of faith and is destructive and not constructive but a extreme unwillingness and resistance to ever reproving and rebuking is just as dangerous because it leads to complacency it leads to a toleration of sin 
or and weakness in ways that are inappropriate. Uh, and so it's one of those things that's very hard to get right. But the idea of reproof and rebuke is keeping the end goal in mind. What's the goal of a reproof or rebuke? The end goal is not to be right. It's not to say, hey, I told them. The, the goal is that there's change, that things are changed uh, in, a, in a way that leads to greater uh, obedience to God. Uh, if there needs to be such destructiveness uh, that we're tearing down so we can build up. And that's because they're inherently negative. And it's really hard to see how a rebuke or a reproof can be encouraging. And really it's not. A rebuke and reproof on its own is not encouraging. The idea is that a reproof or rebuke taken well and changes applied allow for encouragement and edification. Because again, you're tearing down so that there can be building up. And it has to be handled gingerly and with the utmost respect. First Timothy five one, Paul tells Timothy about how he's supposed to respect his fellow Christians, uh, and it must be done. It, you know, many times it's better if you can handle something privately to do so privately in Matthew eighteen fifteen through seventeen, according to the proper uh, protocol. There, um, that tends to work a lot better and uh, de-escalates the situation. And it's very important at times because the Christians at times need to be reminded that we serve a holy God and that we need to have proper reverence and to resist sin and to take these things seriously. Uh, but if, if rebuke and reproof is just too casual and that's just it's being thrown out all the time, it leads to despair and discouragement. And that, that is its own problem. And so that's the kind of things that can go on in lessons. Lessons can approach topics in various ways. Uh, it can it be primarily expository, primarily topical. It needs to have a serious respect of, of the scriptures and be rooted in scripture and that let scripture dictate the, the flow of the message. It let, let it be, uh, in that sense, God-directed more than man-directed. And it includes all, can include all these elements or focus on a few of these elements. And uh, it's also very good to try to make sure there's a healthy diet uh, in, in all the different elements of scripture, all the different elements of, of doctrine in life, and that's part of the craft of figuring out how to continue to encourage people through preaching. And well beyond the uh, strictures of, of the conversation we're having today, and the amount of time that we have to have this conversation. So, uh, we, we do well though to consider some things that the lesson is not supposed to be. Uh, the lesson is not supposed to be entertainment. And we have to say this because our society today is addicted to entertainment. Billions are spent to distract and to please the senses. And everything you go is all about fanfare. It's all about the spectacle. It's all about uh, the glitz and the glamour over the substance. And this has certainly infected Christianity. Because there are a lot of uh, churches that follow this impulse and work to make the sermon entertain more than it is to encourage. As with everything that we've been talking about in terms of the assembly, the importance of the lesson is in the message and not in its production. A lesson is not being given so that you can be amazed by somebody's ability and to enjoy the act of hearing a person. It's designed for you to hear a message and to encourage you in the faith. In 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 10, one of the complaints that people had with Paul is that his production was not that great, that he didn't preach it well, apparently. Uh, but, wow, 
his messages are very great and we're still reading and delivering about them to this day and just like with singing the production of the lesson should not distract from the message it's to complement it and it can interfere either way uh, perhaps it's too rough or it's too fine a rough presentation if the presentation is disorganized if there's a lot of internal contradiction if it there's a lot of disfluencies if it goes on too long if the points aren't appropriately hashed if explained out uh, then the way that the lesson is being preached and the production of the lesson is getting in the way of the message or if it's so fine that everybody's just uh, amazed at the rhetorical skill of the preacher and the people can get caught up in hearing the message and not the message itself uh, or uh, especially as illustrations you know sermons live or die by illustrations and uh, a good illustration can drive home the point in the application but if everybody is so enraptured by the the illustration itself and they walk away from the illustration but not the lesson it's supposed to provide then again that's not accomplishing the purpose that God has established for uh, the preaching of the, the word and preachers do well to strive to better the way that they produce to remove disfluencies to make sure presentation is, is, is linear and logical and that, and that there is appropriate exhortation appropriate feeling is given to it so that the message is really something that's being poured out of their soul uh, but we must not come to the conclusion that a finer message is always better because the production needs to complement the message not overwhelm it the focus needs to continue to be on what is being said on more than on how it is being said the lesson is also not to be a one-person exercise, and that gets also back to that idea of entertainment. A lot of people like the entertainment model because they can sit back and just absorb and enjoy, uh, and nothing is being expected of them. And it's, it's very much a one-way street, but that's not the idea. The idea of the lesson is not the 25 to 35 minute torture session where somebody gets up and everybody's just hoping he finally stops talking so they can go to lunch. The lesson is designed for encouragement, and it can only be encouraging if the brethren make it something encouraging for their lives. Uh, like with all kinds of other things in life, you only get out of it what you put into it. And so the proclaiming of the gospel is, is, is not being done for their own benefit. Uh, if I get up and preach, I'm having, you know, when we're having this conversation, I've already benefited by the study and the preparation. Uh, now the opportunity is to provide that benefit to others uh, because I've already found the encouragement that comes from the scriptures in these terms from 15.3 now the goal is to try to encourage others in a similar way and so we do have a share in the lesson just like we have a share in singing and praying in the Lord's Supper and things like that and the share of that lesson is uh, what you're investing in your presence yes in your participation in terms of listening in terms of following along in terms of having an internal dialogue with the preacher with about what's being said a lot of times when people are not encouraged by a lesson the, you know it's always easier to blame the preacher and and there probably are valid critiques of the preacher but again it first and foremost comes down to what did you put into the lesson are you trying to gain encouragement from it
or is you are just waiting for it to be over? And the lesson is also not always designed to please people. We cannot confuse encouragement with ear tickling. It's very easy for that. And the idea of ear tickling comes from that passage in 2 Timothy 4 where Paul tells uh, Timothy to preach the word, to be ready in season out of season, to reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will run away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The lessons we need to hear, we really need to hear, are not going to be pleasant. And, and that could be for many reasons. First of all, it may ex force us to confront our own sins, our own weaknesses, our own vulnerabilities. It may make us feel uncomfortable that our toes have been stepped on. Maybe uh, he's, the, the preacher is preaching on an issue where the way we look at it is more shaped by the world than by the gospel. Uh, maybe it's something that the, the gospel, way a gospel is very countercultural, but our way of thinking has become very cultural. And that is that is actually natural because all of us have those issues with which we wrestle where because of our raising because of our environment because of our culture uh, we we have a little bit of tension with what the Word of God says uh, after all if if we actually come to the point of thinking that uh, we completely agree and have absolutely no qualms or no difficulties, no challenges at all with what uh, we believe God is telling us, then it's more likely that we have made a God of our own invention and we really disagree with ourselves than that we're actually serving the God of heaven. Every generation, every culture has some elements where certain things are very easy and natural to follow. But every culture, every environment, there are just some things that are against the grain and countercultural, And... We need to stew in that sometimes. We need to sit in that sometimes. And to wonder, okay, uh, in these circumstances, are we willing to listen to the rebuke, the reproof? That Are we willing to have our ideas corrected by Scripture? Are we willing to be confronted with these things and to be willing to change? Or are we going to just blame the messenger, kick the preacher out, and have, bring in somebody who's going to tell us the things that are more amenable to our, our worldview and our ideology? And that, that's exactly the danger here in Second Timothy chapter 4, 2 through 4. And, and ironically, it's many times not the obvious one that people would think about, but sometimes the, the things that seem near and dear to the hearts of many uh, are the, the very difficulties in, involved. And so, if you want to have a preacher who is faithful to the gospel, that, that means that he's going to say things at times that are uncomfortable, that are difficult, that are challenging, that are going to force you to come to grips with some of, of, of your deepest, darkest weaknesses and vulnerabilities. And that's not pleasant. Nobody's saying it's pleasant, but the alternative is that those who just want to hear what they want to hear are falling away, and they wander off into myths. It's a myth because it's a story that people tell themselves, and that story they're telling themselves reinforces what they like to think. It's a myth because it's not true. It makes them feel better about themselves, but it's not true. And we can think about all kinds of myths that bedevil people across the various spectra, uh, in, in all kinds of different ideologies, and they're all myths. And they need to be called out for what they are, and the truth needs to be proclaimed for what it is. 
And sometimes it can be done handled more diplomatically th than others, but there's always easier to critique some of those things than to just accept the substantive message. And so, encouragement is to be strengthened sometimes means that certain things need to be torn down to be so they can be built up. That sometimes we need to go through a difficult realization so there can be actual progress and growth. And it's better off in the end, even though at the moment it's very painful. And also it's good to remember that the preacher is not infallible. That the preacher and his standing do not come from him and how amazing he is, because there is none of, of us who are that amazing. It's from the power and the authority of the word. And the value of a, of a gospel sermon is in the gospel in it. That if a sermon just a, ripped from the pages of the newspaper or a uh, is just ripped from a partisan talking point or is just ripped from uh, a cultural touchstone, God is not glorified and honored and the preacher has no standing because the only thing that has standing is the Word of God. The message has to be faithful to Scripture. That God, through what He has revealed in the Scriptures, is the arbiter of right and wrong, not the preacher. And cult's personality about preachers is what Paul's condemning in 1 Corinthians 1, 12-13, that one was of Paul, one was of Cephas, one was of Apollos, one was of Christ. And we have to keep in mind that many times preachers may be very helpful to you in, make, in explaining things. And you may have learned things from a preacher. But nothing is true because the preacher told you. It's only true because God has said it and the preacher proclaimed it. And so it's, that's why it's important for us to test all things. And to make sure that all the truth that the preacher is even speaking from the gospel is made our own. Not because the preacher said it, but because it's in the gospel. And we cannot confuse the two. Because many have been led very astray. Because they put more confidence in the preacher than in the word of God. And may that never be among the people of God. And so that's what's going on with the lesson. Uh, they're presented in the assembly of the New Testament. They included exhortation, rebuke, instruction, and strengthening the faith. And that we need to be encouraged in the faith uh, and strengthened and built up to accomplish God's purposes. But it's not a one-person exercise for uh, the purposes of entertainment. Uh, it's not going to always make you feel good. Um, and always to direct you back to what God has said. And So let us, therefore... Uh, hear the gospel, proclaim the gospel, and be strengthened in what God would have us to know. And we can follow him faithfully until the day of the resurrection. We're again so thankful that you spent this time with us. We hope that you've been encouraged and strengthened by this uh, uh, conversation on preaching. So kind of some preaching on preaching there. We're getting very meta. And, but we hope that it's been a, a, a good opportunity for you. Uh, if you have any questions or comments about anything that you've heard, maybe you'd like to talk further about some of these things, maybe you've got questions, maybe you just want to talk or a prayer request, any way I can be of service, please let me know by contacting me through my website at deverbovitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. Or if you'd like to learn more about the Venice Church of Christ or check us out, you can learn more about us online at venicechurchofchrist.org. We're also on social media. We again thank you. Have a great day.